Good morning. It's good to be together as God's people. I'm thankful each Sunday as I look at each face and say, there's an answer to prayer this week. I pray that God would gather his people uh, in his intention for all that we've prepared for for this moment. So I'm excited to see what the Father will do. Isn't that something to consider? I hope you have that sense of gracious expectation. We will be different because of what God does. Psalm 107 is our call to worship for this morning. I've taken that and set it out as a responsive reading. I will set that up so that you can read in response to uh, what I touch. It begins Psalm 107, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for all mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. Let us stand and sing together our first hymn, opening hymn is number 43, Guide Me, O My Great Redeemer.
Amen. Have a seat if you would, please. Again, it's always my joy to welcome those of you who've gathered here, um, but also as we are able to worship and then by way of live stream or recording to join others in your space, whether it's in Michigan or Hawaii or Honduras, what God is doing here by the wonder of his Holy Spirit, he's able to minister to others all around the globe. It's a fascinating thing, isn't it? We're part of something bigger than ourselves in that way bunch of things going on. Yesterday, the council had a full-day planning retreat as we began to pray and look into the future. How would God lead us in ministry in a changing time? Very, very helpful. Uh, Wednesday night, last week, and then continuing this week, the adult dialogue. Uh, after community night, each week, we'll have a group for discussion and consideration. We're looking at a book this next coming week. Darwin will have a presentation and then to talk about what it means to believe in particular doctrine. Uh, Tuesday, memorial service for Marianne Baker. I hope you've seen that in the um, celebration inform and able to keep up. Uh, next week will be a special service. I'm so excited that I'm coming, even though I'm not preaching. You'll get to meet the Reverend Jeff Huff. He was a graduate of Western Seminary with a JB. Uh, Jeffrey is working in inner city Muskegon, downtown Muskegon, the old first reformed church of Muskegon that was essentially abandoned. He's now working with a CRCRCA joint project ministering. I, Mary Lynn and I had lunch with him not long ago, and I thought I was back home in New Orleans. So I'm very anxious for you to meet him. We feel like this is a relationship that uh, he can minister to us even as we get to know and pray for him. Uh, this morning, we will celebrate communion later in the service. Um, again, remember the process. At that time, I ask you to come forward. If you want to use the individually packaged uh, cups, and bread right there on the front, you can take one. Or if you'd rather just um, be given bread and take a small cup, that'll be available through servers on either side. If you're unable to come forward, um, just wait and catch Christine's eye. She'll be looking to help serve people that need to stay in their pews. So we've got a lot of options. Uh, we're encouraging families with kids come together, and we like to have parents navigate that experience with their kids together there um, in that way. I won't be doing a ministry video for this sermon, but I will dismiss the kids later in our service uh, with Miss Janet to head out the door here to their ministry time. So some different moving parts. Uh, let's see the slides that we have. Some upcoming activities, a craft and secondhand market sale. We're now receiving things. If you'd like to do your spring cleaning in fall, you're either real late or you're ahead of schedule. But this becomes a way for you to contribute and raise money for missions. Uh, Family Fall Festival will be in uh, just in a few weekends, a time to gather and enjoy life together. And I want to continue lifting up the Holland Box Society that will be joining us for worship service. We will be using the music of Bach in its original setting, the worship of a local congregation. It'll be a very new kind of thing for me, and I hope you'll join me in experiencing that and seeing the richness of um, gospel-centered music and art as it comes together to empower us to give God glory 
Um, also an online, uh, f- hmm, that looks new, Family Fall Festival and the online uh, Connect card. You'll see there if you'll uh, text the word connect to that number, we'll be able to give you opportunity to respond. You can get the Thursday night, 7 p.m. Um, email that goes out with celebration information. You can request a visit or share a prayer, whatever's helpful for you. We are not simply inventing life or faith ourselves. The faith is something that God has done that forms and shapes us. Just as he has formed and shaped people in a variety of different cultures all through history, one way we connect to what God is doing to form his people is by remembering our faith roots with the Heidelberg Catechism. And we've been doing three questions Uh, for this month. I'll begin, and if you would respond. Now, what is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things, the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. What is this dying away of the old self? To be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate and run away from it. What is this rising to the life of the new self? Wholeheartedly joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. Let's turn to the Father now and pray. Father, I thank you that you have called us to die to an old life and to rise to a new life. We thank you for that work of true repentance that you lead us through. Thank you that you aid us and guide us with your word, with the sacraments like communion, where we will remember once again God the Son taking human form, dying that death might be conquered, and rising that we might have new life in him. Be with your people here and across the world who remember the gospel and are formed by it. Continue to lead and guide Heart of Wyke Ministries that we might be a faithful and welcoming location for people to hear good news in Christ. We pray for Pastor Aaron, newly returned from Ireland, as he shares that formative experience and um, preaches in Watershed. For Pastor JB, who'll be bringing your word and fusion right next door to us in just an hour or so. And for Pastor Florencio, who'll stand where I do in just a few hours and in the Spanish language, make clear the glories of the God who's rescued us all. Bless and extend your work through Neighbors Plus, through faithful, hard white people in their places of work and community and family through this coming week. We pray, too, for celebration. You've called us as your specific people in a specific time and setting. And so we gather, we give you praise, but we pray for one another. We rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We grieve with those who are grieving. So I'm going to ask you, there's so much to pray for. I want to ask you to join me in that. I'm going to give you a moment of silence to pray for the sick whatever form it may take, that they might know the touch of God, um, his 
wonderful, healing, comforting, sustaining grace in whatever it may be. For those that you know in your circle of relationships with a measure of sickness, whatever it may be, pray for them now if you would. And Father, we pray for those who grieve, for those who've experienced loss, whether close or perhaps relationally just one or two steps further out, we join together and carry grief, not simply as isolated individuals, but as a community of believers. Pray for those you know, certainly the bakers, but over this past year, the list is long. Pray for those you know at Heart Awake or beyond who are in the journey of grief. Finally, Father, we pray for those who struggle, whether it's a struggle to discern, to know what's right or wrong, to know how to respond, or simply to take that step of obedience. You may be praying for yourself, but around this word struggle, I encourage you to take just a moment in the silence of your hearts to pray for those who struggle. Father, you've instructed us in your word to pray for those in authority over us. And so, in our regular prayer cycle, we pray for those in authority in the state of Michigan, for Governor Gretchen Whitmer, and for Attorney General Dana Nessel, and Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. We pray for our representatives in the State House, Mary Whitford and Jim Lilly and Bradley Slaw, for State Senator Roger Victory, for all those called to serve. May you guide them in their service. We pray particularly in this season of heading towards election that you would guide your people. Thank you for the opportunity to have input in those who govern. May we pursue that faithfully, that there might be the rule of law, shalom for the community, and justice for all. Father, we thank you that your gospel goes to the ends of the earth, and whether near or far, you've called all of us as a missionary people. Be with those who we have sent to distant places, to near places. Be with us that we might make the gospel clear. This morning, as I was preparing for the service, um, meditating on Psalm 31, I'll read these words. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. And this morning I said again and again and again, you are my God. You are my God. I'll speak to you, O my soul. The Lord is my God. I will hear the word of God rather than the word of my fear. The Lord is my God, and I trust in you. Verse 15, my times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies or from those who would pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Thank you that we don't simply project our emotions into oblivion, but we speak to a God by whose grace we are now 
deeply loved, fully adopted children. And so, Abba Father, just as Big Brother, our Lord Jesus, taught us to pray, we pray saying together, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Our next hymn is number 330, but while we sing this, I'm going to ask Miss Janet if she'd come forward, and it's a great time to dismiss our kids. We've got a nursery downstairs, and she'll be the Pied Piper of children's ministry today as K through 3 heads down for her. The rest of you, let's stand and sing together. They can, there we go, (laughs) they can march out while we sing. Let's stand and sing to the glory of God. There we go, Luke. Amen. Be seated, if you would, please. We continue over 
all, we're reading through the story, kind of a summary edit of the entire narrative of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, we drop out of that some of the repetition, the genealogies and uh, history that's twice so that we can more clearly see the big story, and we're in a section of that that we're calling the rescue. It's about God taking his people from the land where he had fed them that became a land of slavery and then brought them out to his promised land. Uh, last week we saw the giving of the law and we reflected on the law, what it's good for, what it's not meant for. Today we get to see just exactly how wonderfully Israel responded to the law. Hear the word of God. I'm reading from the very end of our section, Deuteronomy chapter 8, and this is Moses speaking to the people. And I'll ask, let's just move those forward as, as I read. There we go. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Very good. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years in order to humble and to test you, in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had ever known. He did that to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. When you had eaten and are when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold and 401k increase, and all you have is multiplied. That was a, the Bill Lindner text. <laughs> then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through that vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so he confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is this day. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. You must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God who has condescended from your glory and majesty to speak into human history. We thank you for the way you have acted in the midst of this nation, Israel, so many centuries ago through this leader, Moses, and now a new leader, Joshua, that you would work through broken people to make your glory and goodness known. Thank you for the records that we have of all that activity that now we might look to the scroll, open it as it were, translate, meditate, read, consider. For you've promised here to meet us the same Holy Spirit who inspired and preserved now would illumine our hearts and minds to hear your call to faithfulness in this day and time. Thank you for your kindness and goodness. Be greater than even my own confusion and brokenness, I pray. But may we see Jesus ever so clear. For we pray in his name. And all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Well, as I mentioned, last week, Israel has received the law, the Ten Commandments, and I began to give you that overview of how it works and how it would bear fruit in lives and was meant to do that, an expression of how do we learn to discern what it is that God is doing and what God is not doing. It's from something else. So God gives Israel the law right after that passage in Exodus. There's some more legislation, and then you see just exactly what Israel is able to do with the law. You see what they're capable of. Failure. The first big historical event after the giving of the Ten Commandments is the story of the golden calf, and what a story it is. In Exodus 32, the people demanded of Aaron, make us new gods. Oh, do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron would say in recounting the, this event to Moses. You know how prone these people are to evil. Oh, by the way, that's a step they would call blame shifting. Wasn't me. It was my little brother. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. Then they gave me the gold. I threw it into the fire. And, oh, who would believe? Out came this calf. Goodness. They have the law, and now in their own strength, they are able to demonstrate the law itself cannot change us. Failure. See, one of the interesting things, and we've, it's been a theme throughout um, uh, the story here, and it'll continue to be, there is, as it were, an upper narrative, an upper story of a great and majestic, holy, loving, merciful, just God. But he's working that out through a, a lower story, a, a, a narrative in the lower dimension where we live, where we are history. It's as if a great and good script writer, movie producer could produce the perfect movie, but all he could use was inept actors broken actors. One of the things that drives those broken actors, they think the movie is about them. 
And actually, they are just bit players in a passing scene in a movie about him. So let it settle in on you. God gives the law. It's perfect. It has intention. It speaks to us. It shapes us. But Israel is capable of failure. Another passage in Numbers 12, I like to call it the sister-in-law rebellion. Numbers chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite, Ethiopian wife. Didn't quite like that sister-in-law. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? See, again, they're dodging what was eating their heart. Hasn't he also spoken through us? God would judge Miriam and Aaron for the rebellion of their hearts. They would pay a price. Failure. The 12 spies is a well-known story. They're about to enter into the promised land. These are the people who remember walking through the Red Sea, dry and safe. Seeing the 10 plagues where God, the Lord, destroys, overcomes every Egyptian deity. And they're standing at the edge of the promised land. They send in 12 leaders, one from each tribe. They come back and say, it's a great and good land, but there's giants and strong cities. It's a vote. The majority was 10. They said, we can't do it. But there were two who were right, Joshua and Caleb. And they said, yes, it's a beautiful land. Yes, there's strong cities. Yes, there's giants. But our God can take us in. The judgment on the people, their failure for obedience was 40 years until they all died in a new generation. Joshua and Caleb would live and lead them in, but it's a moment of failure. Probably the most difficult failure for us to comprehend is Moses himself. You know that Moses, who was the instrument for the 10 plagues, who was the first one across at the Red Sea, who stood and spoke the people, all that God had given him in 40 days on the mountain with God. Moses didn't go in. He would be given instruction by God, speak to the rock, and it'll give water for the people. In his frustration, in his anger, he struck the rock twice. Not a big sin, unless you're God and we were created for perfection. Moses would not go in. That's the power of the law, friends. It lets us see where we fall short. It lets us know what the shape of God's work in us would look like. And it points us to a Savior. See, I think it's critically important that we understand this word testing. When I use the word test, I'm going to put you to the test. Most of us, my sense, having listened to people for years and been in school for as many years, is that test is a pass-fail event, and beneath it would be the words accept or reject. I'm going to test you to see if I accept you. Are you worthy of my friendship? Are you worthy of my encouragement? Are you, are you good enough for me to trust and accept? I want to tell you, particularly as we look at this passage, 
Biblically, there's a whole different perspective. And I think I would translate it this way, illuminate the heart. Listen to Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 again. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. So he's telling them, think back over 40 years in order to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Now, uh, read this in light of the whole scripture. Do you think God had any question about what was in their heart? I don't. He tested us. He tested Israel in order to know what was in their heart in a way that they could know as well. Do you know why God gives you opportunity to see what's in your heart, the circumstances, the ups and downs, the 40 years of wilderness, his provision, his victory, your defeat, your hunger, your fear, in order to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. And Israel's history becomes the living out of God illuminating their heart to make clear to them and now to us that the law would never rescue them. See, it's not about going back to the Old Testament, taking all those principles and putting together a community. All those laws would simply help us understand our shortcoming. Testing is not about acceptance when it's testing of the Lord. It's about perfecting. Here's another way to put it. The Lord does not test his children with the option of rejection. He tests for his work of sanctification. God is working in us the image of Christ, the fullness of Christ. So we should see over time by the grace of God through the ups and the downs he leads us through, we should see more and more the glory of Christ. Ask your spouse or your parents, or if you're bold, your children, or a close friend. Do you see more of Jesus and the fruit of his life in me than you did 10 years ago? See, that's what the circumstances of our life are often about. God helping assay is another word. You, you see what's a part of that gold. Is it all gold or is there some other stuff mixed in? Let's burn that off. God is testing our hearts that it might be clear. Can, can you go through the difficult times in life and look back and say, boy, that was a hard season, but God showed me this in my heart that he wanted to change, that I had to begin to repent of, that I had to begin to reform and reshape by his grace. Can you look at the hard times in your life and understand what God is showing you about your heart and about what behaviors that manifests in and responses? That's what God is doing with the law. That's what this testing is about. And it's amazing to see it in a particular man. I want to close by looking at Joshua. Moses will never enter the land of God's promise through the law by his own behavior, by a righteousness that he achieves of his own intent and conviction and will. He will hand off the baton, as it were, to the man Joshua. Joshua, who God says in our text this morning, be strong and courageous. Don't fear, for the Lord will be with you. Moses doesn't say to Joshua, the Lord doesn't say, 
okay, Joshua, I've trained you in order to do everything I expect. Now go do it. You see, Joshua would fall short. We'll see that in the book of Joshua. He would make mistakes. But he would still be God's man and God's leader. How do you sort that out? There's three things I want to point to that helped shape Joshua to be the next leader for Israel. They are this. The first thing is formative experiences. There were experiences that would form who Joshua is meant by God to be. In the lingo of our time, Joshua would, dis- would discover his true self because of God's work in him, because of God's people shaping Joshua. That's what a formative experience is. It's an experience that forms who we are. Uh, my dad served for three years with the Marine Corps, and I can picture in my mind there was a time where he stood in line working class, immigrant, college kid. In front of him, there could have well been a Puerto Rican from Spanish Harlem, and in front of them both, an African-American from the South Bronx. The first one to get hold of you in the Marine Corps is the barber. And the next one to get hold of you is the person who puts a uniform on you. And the next person says, start running. Three years later, you could line those three men up and there would have been three Marines. The Marine Corps is a formative institution. It shaped who my dad was. All four of his children are able to make a bed and bounce a quarter off of it. They were formed God is forming his people. There were formative experiences for Joshua. He joined Moses in the tent of meeting. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide Joshua, the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. That was a formative experience where Joshua would be shaped for the rest of his life through that meeting of the Lord God with his mentor, Moses. Joshua learned to lead in battle while Moses prayed. This is a great passage for intercessors. The Amalekites came out and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands. Joshua would see that victory comes because intercessors are in the place of prayer. Joshua learns to resist peer pressure. When he says, he and Caleb to the people, oh, it is a hard land, but we can go in because of our God. He stood against peer pressure. Friends, I want to tell you something. My guess over the next five years, I'm no prophet or the son of a prophet, but each of us will have more opportunity to be in the minority and to speak kindness and wisdom and hope to a rebellious world like Joshua and Caleb did to the nation. 
he hears the voice of the Lord, Deuteronomy 31. The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun. You know, Christianity is not about mastering the principles and applying them in your own strength. It's about the sheep of Jesus hearing the voice of the shepherd and following. These were formative experiences. Why do we send people on short-term mission trips? Because those are formative experiences for them. And oh yes, by the way, sometimes they can even help other people. I have been more formed because Mary Lynn and I moved into the Holly Grove neighborhood of New Orleans years ago than anything I ever did for them. What are the formative experiences in your life? Yesterday we struggled with what does faith formation look like in a world that's focused on self-expression and self-discovery? You can't tell me whom I am. It's just me, and I must be free to express. And you are required to affirm, lest you cancel me. You know how this world works. A number of years ago, I read a fascinating article. I am this university's first openly gay student body president. Let me read to you from some of that article. I'm bisexual. And I have a desire to lead this university and the denomination that established it into the future. I'd feel as if I'd made a mistake as student body president if I did not use my platform to do so. Now that's a 20-year-old college junior with a plan to change a 150-year-old university established and sponsored by an even older Christian denomination that's a reflection of a thousands of years old movement. What you see is the difference between sensing a university is a formative experience or a university is a performative platform. Truth is mine to define and to express this world is the platform to express it. Joshua was formed by his encounter with the living God. What are we doing to form one another after the image of Christ? What does it mean? What is forming you? I've started to refer to that thing in our living room as the catechism device. And because we are fairly wealthy, we actually have two, an upstairs and a downstairs catechism device. Other people call them televisions. But out of the television, out of your cell phone, out of your computer, spews the catechism of the world. It's about you. Out of the word of God comes the word of God. It's about me redeeming and shaping you. Joshua was developed through formative experiences. He was made who he was because he was filled with the Holy Spirit and gifted. Numbers 27, so the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership. People serve because they are filled with the spirit. Deuteronomy chapter 34 says of uh, Joshua, when Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. The reason Moses, Joshua was ready to lead was because the spirit 
was in him. God, a different motive, a different power, was at work within him. Joshua developed and showed transformation. Character over time, 40 years in the wilderness to lead, to serve, to learn. See, friends, what this points us to in these 40 years in the development of Joshua is that God's chosen people really are just broken people together on a journey. Whether Moses or Joshua, whether Korah or Miriam or Aaron, they're all broken. I want to ask you to quietly turn to the person next to you and kind of wink and whisper, and I think you might be too. Friends, yes, some of you are more anxious to do that than others. God's people are just broken people together on a journey, and we are people with the Lord at work in our midst. That's what matters. Years ago, at a different place, a different time, I was at a church that I was considering moving to. It was going to be the final sermon of candidating process. You know how that goes. We've gone through this whole process, and now we're going to see if we're going to step across the boundary. Before I preached, I was asked to join the elders and pray for a man in the congregation because he was headed out to prison. Note to self, there's a story there. I would later discover that he had embezzled multiple millions of dollars from multiple companies, lived on the fat of the land, had a reputation, and when caught, had brought down businesses, damaged families. He was a mess. He was on his way to prison. We prayed for him. To the church's credit, they cared for the wife and children during his time in prison. But when he returned, should, could the church welcome him? They did. I'll tell you that part of the story. Because of all that he'd learned in that hard time in the prison, was he ready to serve as an elder? No. Here's one. Would you let him serve as treasurer? He was good at numbers. What there needed to be was demonstrated character over time. Not that he could perform so much as God was at work bearing fruit in him. We wanted to see, could he demonstrate character over time? Would he show up at the men's breakfast on a regular pace? Would he open his life? Would he show up at work, pay his bills? Would he help his wife in nursery when no one was looking? Would he show up at his kid's track meet? Was he growing in Bible study? Did he have a prayer life? You know, in about 10 years, perhaps, God could redeem even that story and he serve as an elder. Treasurer? No. But I tell you where I would put him. On the audit committee. He would know what to look for. Friends, I want to tell you something. We are broken people together on a journey with the Lord at work in our midst. That's all Israel is. I didn't mention it, but I'll do it now. 50 years ago, if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 
had been a member of a CRC church, they probably would have been excommunicated. Look at how Abraham treated his wife. That played out in his son, Isaac. Jacob, oh, what a scoundrel. Rejected, be gone. I want to tell you, I've listened to stories in my time here. The alcoholic, out of control and hurting people, but told, you can't be here. How about the spouse who commits seriously, ser- serial adultery and continues after counseling and accountability? And the other person files for divorce, but then is told by the church, don't come back. We don't believe in divorce. You don't want to tell you something. I don't believe in divorce, but I don't believe in serial adultery. And I do believe that broken people need a place to hear the gospel. That's all we are, is broken people together on a journey, hearing the gospel. God is at work in our midst. Now, maybe somebody needs to step down from leadership. You're struggling with this, and it's out of control. I don't want you teaching Sunday school. But out the door? Friends, I want us to tell you, God calls us to be honest about our brokenness. I'm no more than a sinner who by God's grace can demonstrate a little bit of character over time. Imagine, we recognize that all of us were sinners on a journey of faith in Jesus, some further along, some able in that journey to serve others by the power of the Spirit. And we're further along in trust and repentance, not in performance or in income or acclaim. Imagine if we could say to the alcoholic, we have an AA group that meets. Let's you and I go together. I want you to meet these people. The person traumatized by the spouse's adultery, won't you sit with me and my family? We can worship together. We can pray together. We can cry together because we're here to receive what God in his grace is giving. That's what it means to be the people of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. And yet, unlike us, you still love us deeply. You love us so deeply to not be confused by our blame shifting, by our prideful self Uh, expression, but you love us deeply enough and you recognize our need that God the Son would be born as Jesus and take on our brokenness at the cross and then live out the new life as he was raised. We thank you, Father, for the goodness of the gospel, for the hope you have given us. As we come now to the table you promise to meet us, open our hearts and minds to the goodness of the hope you've given us. For we pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people said together, amen, amen. Heidelberg Catechism question number 80 makes a statement about the Lord's Supper that I want us to recite together, uh, if we will. It says that uh, this is the... um, Oh, I'm sorry. Let's skip the very good. <laughs> I've got a great team. 
Here's what the Heidelberg Catechism says about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper declares to us that all our sins are completely forgiven. Let's say that together because I want you to hear it in your own voice. The Lord's Supper declares to us that all our sins are completely forgiven through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the Christ once for all. It also declares to us that the Holy Spirit grafts us into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, where he wants us to worship him. Friends, we live on a planet where bread can be made. After the thaw of winter, as a farmer sows seed and tills the ground, waits to see it rained on and the sun to bring warmth, then to harvest it, to take it to the miller, and finally to the baker who will make it. We live on a planet where bread can be produced. Every person can be fed and nourished by bread. Every person, whether rich or poor, young or old, Democrat or Republican, LGBTQ or straight, Some people are nourished with bread in their hunger. Some are thankful for the people whose work produced it. Some are only interested if it's locally sourced and artisan made. People of faith can see in a loaf of bread the love of the Lord, the God of the Bible. The God who created a good world that has since been broken, but a world that the Lord himself visited, died, and rose in order to redeem. People of gospel-centered faith remember in this loaf the God who took a few loaves of bread made by his world and then multiplied them to provide food for thousands one afternoon. From the bread that we have in the world to the bread that Jesus would multiply and now to this bread of his presence. For people of gospel-centered faith We see in this loaf the resurrected Jesus who has said to his followers in the upper room, this loaf is my bread and my body, which is broken for you. The sacrament points to the miracle that gives us a new view of the world in which we live. For Paul would tell his church, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks to his Father, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is now the new covenant, not in the blood of a lamb, or the fruit of the vine, but in my blood. Drink ye all of it and do it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Paul challenges his church to bring that to mind and to come in a, what he would call an appropriate manner. Don't come in an unworthy way that says, ah, I'm here to get what I've earned. This is the one place on the planet where the undeserving are invited 
and the more undeserving, step to the head of the line. For this is the place of grace. To receive what we could never earn. To come unacceptably is to come thinking, we've made our way here. We've met the mark. We're, we're serious about the process of sanctification, what it means to die to sin and to rise to life. But we come here by way of grace. I am not my own, so I'm not free to come on my own terms, even in a world of self-expression. I come trusting in Jesus, his death as my substitute, his resurrection as his gift of life to me. To not come trusting in self is what it means to come in an acceptable manner. Let's pray. Jesus, you said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It is so hard trying to prove what we are. But we open our hands and our hearts and our minds to receive your gospel, the gift of your spirit that cries within us, Abba, Father, Daddy. And in this bread and in this cup, we see by faith the fullness of your promise, even beyond what we see in simple wheat and grape. Take this, which is very simple, the bread and the cup, and by the promise of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit, meet us as you have promised. Do what you can do, Father. I pray today that your precious work would be conviction, encouragement, insight, a silence that lets us walk by faith. Whatever it may be, have your way in us. For we make our prayer in Jesus' mighty name and all of God's people sit together. Amen. Amen. Now at this point, I want to ask those who will be serving uh, with me if you'd come forward and take bread in the cup and then I'll invite the congregation forward in just a moment. Again, remember individual packets in the front or if you'd like to Um, oh, okay, very good. You'll be handed the bread and then take the cup. We're here. Come and receive the body of Christ for you and for you, you can respond. The blood of Christ shed for you. Come as God's people and receive.
Ah. Both also speak of breath, as if the Spirit were the breath of God that he breathed in when he created Adam. Breathe deep of the presence of God. Breathe deep of his goodness and his hope. Breathe deep as we pray. Father, thank you that you have loved us. And we enter that love with hands that are empty because we even set aside the good things we've done that we might receive the better things that you have. And so we receive that we might live by your grace. And then we discover that all the good things you've done in us become blessings for others. Help us to see that work of the gospel in every loaf of bread we ever look at. And every time we think of the miracle of the feeding of 5,000, and every time we come to the table of your grace, we're broken people on a journey together in whom by grace the Lord is at work in our midst. When we survey that cross, we see dying to sin and rising to new life. We make our prayer in the mighty name of Jesus. By his grace we live and give you glory. Amen and amen. I want to close with a hymn the words we're familiar with when I survey the wondrous cross. But you'll see music on the screen with a little different melody. We'll want to sing that together. Uh, let's stand together. When I survey the wondrous cross.
The benediction from number six is, may the Lord notice. We're not after blessings here. We're after the blessor, the one who does the blessing. May he, the Lord, bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen and amen. Thank you.